0: Welcome to Celtics Beat, presented by Linda and Casper. This is Jared Weiss filling in for Larry H. Russell. We've got a great show for you. I'm not going to talk too much because we got to get to these interviews. We have ESPN's Amin El-Hassan, their front office insider, really one of the best in the business, one of my favorite people in the NBA analysis game. And then Tom Wesslerholm, another great reporter. He's with Mass Live Celtics Hub, Hardwood Paroxysm. He's fantastic. We're going to have him on after to talk about the Celtics. Uh, rich conti here is joining me rich what is our reach question of the day
2: all right our reach question of the day is being brought to you by casper casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress using two technologies latex and memory foam which come together for better nights and brighter days it's comfortable mattress that has just the right sink and bounce A casper mattress provides long-lasting comfort and support and you can buy it easily online and completely risk-free Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a hundred day period, so you don't have to lie down in the showroom. Get a Casper mattress for five hundred dollars for a twin or nine fifty for a king size mattress. And you can save an additional fifty dollars as one of our audience members by going to Casper.com slash Celtics and entering the promo code Celtics. Our reach question of the day is Where does new acquisition David Lee fit into the rotation? Do you think he's going to be a starter? reserve, end-of-the-bench insurance policy, or is he going to be moved as part of some bigger deal? Head over to reach.com, answer our question of the day, and let us know what you think.
0: Okay, so let's go to our interview with Amino Hassan from ESPN, which is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. That is a lot of titles. So from nonfiction to fiction to periodicals, Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever you are and whenever you want. And for our Celtics Beat audience members, Audible is offering you first audiobook for free to give you a chance to try out by simply logging on to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics to claim your free audiobook. So that's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Definitely got to do it. So let's go to a meeting. All right, mean, So DeAndre Jordan was the center point of one of the most fun days in, I would say, NBA history, and certainly in NBA Twitter history. Just how someone that t- probably tweets every 15 seconds—how was that for you?
3: You uh, know, it, it, it was funny. Uh, you know, I'm I'm probably like the last person in the world to to get serious uh, analysis on about the the, the absurd. I kind of. I, keep a, a light heart around these kind of things. So for me, it was, I was thoroughly entertained. Had a lot of fun with it, It did be When we first heard about, uh, you know, the Doc Rivers trying to reach out to DeAndre Jordan, did the hashtag uh, Doc DocBegsDJ. I had everyone <laughs> send in their favorite, you know, baby comeback <laughs> type of songs, you know, from Boy II Men to, you know, Chicago and everything.
0: I had genuine and, uh, differences. Yeah, uh, which song Yeah, which genuine differences? Differences. My life. My was, whole life has uh, changed. Yeah, there. Yeah. there you go. Yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs> Since you came in, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so it was to me. I mean, it was it was nothing but good fun. But uh, obviously, some people, some people don't have a sense of humor when it comes to these things. I guess.
0: Now, how can you be on Twitter and not have a sense of humor? That's what I never understood.
3: Beats me. How can you? How can you? How can you cover sports and not have a sense of humor? To be honest. I, I always find it funny how people take this stuff so serious. I mean, sometimes there there are serious issues, but, but the day you know, we're talking about some of the most ridiculous stuff. Sometimes people getting upset because a guy changed his mind. <laughs> people getting upset because a guy wants to live somewhere else. You know, it, it's just ridiculous.
0: Well, as far as I understand, based on Twitter, DeAndre Jordan was in the m- middle of a very serious hostage crisis, and his life was at stake multiple <laughs> times throughout the evening. And I think it, the moral of the story is he got home safe, and that's what really matters in the end.
3: Yeah, no, it's funny, I, and, and I, uh, t- on that level, I, I kind of applaud Blake Griffin because you know when those reports came out, you know the, the pictures that he was he was sending it, they're just, just hilarious. It was basically everybody take a chill pill, you know, calm down. It's not that big of a deal.
0: Because we know DeAndre's probably strong enough to pick up the chair and walk out the door.
3: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Or, or Mark Cuban is strong enough to break down a, a glass door with a little chair behind it, you know? <laughs>
0: I, mean, I assume Chandler Par- Parsons is the muscle in that crew anyway for Dallas. Right? No, I, no, he's face. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> he's the face. Uh, the whole Cuban thing was amazing because, you know, Cuban is just cyber dusting DeAndre. Just please hang out with me just for a few minutes. DeAndre's on this really romantic date with Blake Griffin. And in the end... Uh, it was actually it was actually with, with JJ Reddick. That's what it turned out to be. Yeah. It, so, <laughs> but in, in the end... It, I thought that it all kind of went a little more public more quickly than these things tend to do. Usually you kind of hear little rumblings or like people said that people said this maybe a year or two out from events like this within the NBA. But we had people going publicly talking about it. I mean, obviously, Cuban's the probably most apt to talk about things publicly than anyone in the league. But were you surprised by how everybody was just kind of casually talking about it publicly the way J.J. Reddick did and Cuban did right, almost immediately after the fact?
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think it really has to do with with the characters involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're the kind of, you know, all, all the people. We, we got the perfect mix of extroverts and, and you know, the people with, I guess, uh, very little reticence about sharing personal details or private details or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, I imagine if this were you know, pick a free agent, it's for LaMarcus Aldridge, and it was Portland and San Antonio, we, we we never heard any of these details, right? It would have been all kind of, uh, you know, hush-hush, and maybe rumblings or rumors here and there, or, and then maybe, you know, five years, seven years after LaMarcus is done playing, we get the full details, but yeah, you know, we, we, we got the perfect storm of characters involved, and then, uh, throwing a dash of social media so again for 10 years ago would, would this have gone down this way i don't know
0: mark cuban is probably the the biggest extrovert of the bunch blake griffin kind of a subtle extrovert but deandre it didn't seem like he really had any it, it kind of surprisingly played it more quietly than you would have expected for someone that's ever really held back and someone that that kind of doesn't take things too seriously at least in my interactions with him uh, were you? Like, do you think that DeAndre played it the right way of keeping it quiet until making the statement a couple days later on Twitter? Uh no! I mean, it,
3: it, again, it, it, it was the perfect storm because you have all these extroverts, and you got a guy DeAndre who, who maybe you know I, I don't like using the word maturity, but basically, uh, what was not equipped emotionally to handle the situation because <laughs> it, because it, if he was. He would have came out right at the beginning and said, "Hey, man, I changed my mind," and that'd be it. So it needed a victim who was going to be quiet and and you know and would hide from it, so that everybody else could do the talking and to for the whole saga to play out. Um, as far as did he handle it, right, I understand yeah, I wouldn't handle it that way. But then again, I've never had to say no to ninety million dollars.
2: I mean, part of the follow to this has been a lot of talk about the moratorium period uh, that runs from July first to July ninth people are calling for the NBA to to kind of change that restructure, how that works. Do you think that's likely to happen, or is this just kind of just like an isolated case that uh, has a lot of humor to it, so it's getting a lot of attention now, but it's kind of going to recede into the background, uh, you know, by the time the season starts?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because this is how it always goes in the NBA. We'll have a a, a rule, and the rule works fine, and then there'll be one <laughs> high-profile exception, and everyone wants to... They are set fire to cars, and, you know, it turns into into the purge, right? We all just go (laughs) out into the streets, and there are no laws, right? It's a complete anarchy. Um, So I don't think that we need to change. The moratorium, to me, uh, or not to me, I know this is what it's for. It's it's not for, you know, the the satisfaction of rumor mills and and the press or whatever. The moratorium is there because all the bookkeepers are doing the the year-end tallies of all the basketball-related income from the prior season, the fiscal year ends June 30th. So these people are all trying to figure out what the salary cap is going to be, what the uh, luxury tax is going to be. So without having those definite numbers, you can't have teams signing people to binding contracts
2: mm-hmm. when you
3: don't even know if you if you're if you have the wherewithal to basically make good on that contract. And so to you, know, the most I can see is: that can we shorten it? Can we hire more accountants and and get the bean counters to work? you know, three eight-hour shifts around the clock so that we can get the numbers done quicker? I, I suppose, but to me, it, it's just ridiculous that people are oh, we need to get one of the you guys sign right on top of Why? Because one dude changes his mind? Literally, this, this is coming down to One dude changes his mind. We're going to change the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, if you're going to be out there announcing what's basically a handshake deal, you run that risk. So, you know, if if there's a fix here, it's uh, maybe teams think a little bit twice before uh, you know proclaiming they've they've reached these agreements with these guys until they can actually put pen to paper.
3: And and by the way, I don't want to make it seem like the Mavs, you know, they messed up or they bought upon themselves or they 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 got screwed. They got screwed because not because he changed his mind, but because he changed his mind a week later. And, and you know, and a lot happened in that weekend and by the way, in the first forty eight to seventy two hours, it took ninety percent of the premium free agents were off the market. So I mean you know, we really got down to the minimums and the and the kind of tax share mid level type talent pretty quickly. Um, and that's as quick as I've ever seen it to be honest, as far as free agents coming off the board. So um, the, you know, that's the thing that uh, that makes the situation kind of different as well, so I, I don't want to put any blame on the Mavericks because obviously they did get they were aggrieved in the situation. But again, this is a really really unique situation. We can't we can't make knee jerk reactions based on the exception. We may, you know, the rule can't be changed to that. The other thing I'll say is I thought the NBA NBPA the Players Association the statement they made was very very apt as well. They said uh, part of the reason for the moratorium, beyond you know from their standpoint, is this is a time for free agents to do visits and get whining on and, and put a lot of thought into their decision, you know, so to shorten that moratorium and to make guys kind of put the pressure on them to say, hey, you got a time to deal right now, you know, kind of like a car dealership. That's kind of unfair <laughs> to the players. Uh, so, again, I, 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 don't, I don't think there should be a rule change, but you know how this thing is. People are going to whine and complain and... And you know, just we're going to get something very specific just because this uh, this one individual.
0: A lot of people have obviously drawn really faulty conclusions, saying that, "Well, hey, in college they have the letter of intent system; we could just do that in the NBA." The big issue being in the and when you're signing with a team in college, you're not arranging a salary agreement, or well, at least publicly not arranging a salary agreement. So, what? <laughs> there, that's a say- huge variable there that doesn't really apply to the situation.
3: And, and there's another thing. The, the day that we take cues from college basketball on
0: how to do things—that's <laughs> is, is a sad, sad day. They should just have a 64 team tournament after in March every single year. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. get the top teams from the Euro League and Chinese League to come over. The the biggest way that the Mavs got screwed was that not only is DeAndre going back, obviously, but the timing in which they really got. At least actionable confirmation was pretty much right up against the end of the moratorium, so if they had gotten word a couple days earlier, they would have at least had a few days to try to make something work Now they actually did a considering the situation to get, to bring in Pachulia for pretty much nothing and to bring in Darren Williams on essentially a mid level which say what you want about Darren Williams, but considering the situation, I think those are two pretty good moves. But they didn't – they could have at least had more time during the moratorium period to, make, to really work on a free agent like in, uh, Cantor, for instance, although it's not really apparent whether or not they were ever interested. Um, and probably – I don't think anybody really wanted to pay Cantor the max. Um, but they could have – DeAndre could have at least seen this situation as, hey, I'm screwing them over, but at least the right thing to do here would be to let them know as soon as possible so that they have more time to find some sort of alternative. But that didn't happen
3: yeah um it, it it's like i said you know the fact that the first seventy two hours saw most of the you know decent free agents go off the market uh really made it tough you know it, it, it it's not so much that it was oh they, it happened at the end of the moratorium it's that it happened after every free agent had already made a decision that's what it was you know i don't th- i think the more Italian, you know, is isn't as important so much as the fact the market had moved forward mm-hmm. and and it took him basically eight days and seven days to change his mind.
0: Do you think he made the right call in the end? Yeah, I, I you know
3: he's, he's way more suited to be a clipper. He fits perfectly. I mean, it's the perfect role. They hide his weaknesses, they accentuate his strengths. Um the, the, the coach slash DM praises him more than probably anybody else on the roster. I mean, he lives in L.A. I, I, I don't know what more he could have wanted other than proximity to mom, but he, he's got enough money now that mom can live whatever else she wants. Sure. But uh, um, going back to what you said about Dallas, were they good recovery moves? Sure, but I'm, I'm wondering – where, where does that leave them? You think they're a playoff team? I don't think so.
0: Barely, if even, but probably not.
3: I, I mean, yeah, so, so to me, I would have taken that. I mean, I know it's hard to ask a guy like Dirk to waste another year of his career, but essentially that's what's happening anyway. So basically, you're just cosmetically trying to trick him into thinking, oh, no, Dirk, we're, we're really trying everything to get you one more chance. But, uh,. But really, I I don't think that's going to happen. I think I don't think that they're a very good team or a very deep team, and, and you know, and that's even beyond doing a critical deep dive on Darren Williams. How effective can he be? Is he a guy that is he? Because I don't think Darren Williams is like Joe Johnson. I think Joe Johnson is a is a great player who is forever underrated because his salary makes people kind of yeah you know you know, gasp in and in, in disgust or whatever. I don't think Darren Williams is a top 15-point guard. I could probably need a 15-point guard right now. Oh. I'd rather have the Darren Williams at any,
0: at any salary. Probably 20, maybe even 25.
3: I don't know. I wouldn't push the 25,
0: but definitely I think I'd go 15
3: and, and, and before I get to Darren Williams. So here's how I'm going to die. he's all about a guy at the top half and his position. And up to Chulia, again, he's a serviceable big, but you know he's not incredible. He, he's not, and he definitely isn't good enough defensively. I don't think to make up for uh, you know Dirk's shortcomings or whatever, or, or you know or, or that goes with the rest of the roster. To be honest, because it's not like they have a bunch of defensive stalwarts uh, that they're rolling out there. So it just, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know what direction they're headed. It just seemed like kind of uh what's the, is the term period victory i'm trying to be smart there <laughs> maybe not let me, let, let me leave the smart terms to ethan strauss and i'll, I'll stick to you know? <laughs> <laughs> kind of emotional did the wrong thing
2: <laughs> is there any chance we get to january and dallas is clearly out of it and they decide maybe to move dirk to a contender to, to give him one last shot at a ring
3: uh, I, I think Dirk would have to say move me to a contender. Uh, yeah. I, I think, and I think to be honest, if he said that at any time, they would
0: honor that request. Joel Embiid, the news is just coming out that it looks like he's not going to play again this year. And usually, guy misses one year, we there's optimism. Misses another full year, that's when you start to kind of raise the red flag. Where are you at with Joel Embiid right now, and what do you th- do? You think this impacts Hinkie's next step? I mean, you know, first of all, I, I
3: always um, sympathize for players whose careers are cut short due to factors outside their control, so injuries and stuff like that. So, you know, I always say this a lot. One of my favorite players of all time is Grant Hill, um, and it 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 bothers me that he didn't have the career he was supposed to have. Uh, because of injuries, pretty much. Because of the, you know, he did every
0: literally did everything the right way. Yeah, um, and that classes. would have, that would have been like a top twenty career, probably for anyone yeah, that's too young to no, really remember. That's listening.
3: No, well, like Grant Hill was Lebron before Lebron.
0: Yeah, it's,
3: you know, in terms of and probably better equipped to be Lebron than Lebron because Grant such a a strong character guy in terms of you know, he's a leader. He put his, you know, he he didn't, uh, shy away from pressure. He didn't shy away from, uh, from the tough, uh, you know, you know, you have a bad game. He's there. He wasn't kind of sending the teammates. He's the best teammate in the world. You know, if you had to create a player in a lab, it would be Grant Hill, like the ideal player, the guy that you want to represent the face of the league. Like it was Grant Hill. Um, and especially at a time where you know nowadays, I always say we're blessed. Now we have so many good guys who are the face of our league. You know, I think Lebron's a good guy, even though he's got he's got his own little issues sometimes. Um, but you know, Durant and uh, uh, Anthony Davis; these are all great dudes. You know, Steph Curry; these are good. I mean, you know, these are the people you want to represent in your sports league. But like back then, you know, it was kind of like a grab bag of dudes, man. You know, <laughs> and uh, and so Grant Hill was was, I mean, he was a one, so to speak, and he got hurt, and it just ne- was never the same. But even beyond Grant Hill, you got guys like Brandon Roy and and, and uh, uh, Greg Oden. And I, I I just always feel for guys whose careers don't work out because of injury. Um, but uh, you know, again when it comes to Embiid, I just hope that this is, you know, I remember uh, Zydounis Obaskis his first few years in the league, like he barely played because he kept getting hurt. Yeah, And it was one of those, like, oh, he's a seven-footer, he's got foot problems, so he'll never play. And then, he hit a stride, and then, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a distant memory, you know, I guess because a lot of people don't even remember his, his foot issues earlier in his career. So, you know, you hope, that uh, that's the case with Embiid and he's not he's not gonna you know he's not gonna basically stop his NBA career before it even ever started um, but as far as uh, Sam Hinkie goes and the Sixers go you know it just it, it highlights to me this highlights the risk of doing it the way they do it they're doing it which is this whole uh oh, we're just gonna keep amassing assets and all that I mean because you're, you're basically banking on, okay, one of these guys is going to turn out okay. But what if he doesn't, right? At some point, you have to have something to show for to your owner, to your fan base, whoever. saying look, we're doing everything we're trying to do to win. You know you can't just say, well, we weren't going to win anyway, so we might as well be awful and keep high picks. I mean, I guess you could, but at some point that reservoir of patience runs out. And, and you know, you don't have to pay the piper, so to speak. And that's why, you know, I really admire what Danny Ainge has done in Boston because they're reloading, rebuilding, whatever, and they're focused on youth and development and all that stuff. But they're managing to be competitive while doing that. And they're in a great situation because right now if I'm a team, I have a disgruntled superstar and Philadelphia calls me and Boston calls me, I think I'd rather take Boston's call because Sure, they, you know, Philadelphia has a lot of picks. But Boston can give me players who can play right now. And when you're losing a, a star, you, you want guys who can come in and contribute for you. Um, you know, it, so, so uh, to me, I think that's a, a more attractive proposition, not only for uh, the team and the fan base, but for other, you know, in gearing yourself to be attractive as a trade partner for other teams.
0: Especially because with Boston, when you're trying to do a deal with them, they can offer you good picks and they can offer you good players that will most likely be role players or supporting cast on your team right now. But if you're trying to rebuild and you're trying to get rid of a star player, usually you're trying to find some sort of fresh start while maintaining some sort of positive momentum. So with the Celtics, have they're really deep with guys that would be good fourth options, fifth options on yeah. solid teams. That's why they're not that great right now because it's all fourth and fifth options. But if you're a team trying to make a deal with Boston, they're one of the most attractive trade partners across the league.
3: Absolutely. For all those reasons, I just, just, you know, it's it's a better value proposition.
2: Yeah, I mean, do you think Folks are starting to rethink that common wisdom that, you know, the worst place you can be is, right, that NBA purgatory, that seventh or eighth seed, the 40 40, 40 to 45 win range, and realizing that, you know, winning 40 to 45 games isn't inherently the bad thing. It's when you're sacrificing future flexibility, overloading your cap, locking into players who aren't, you know, for the long term, who aren't going to get you where you need to be and only winning 40 to five, 45 games. That seems right. to be what, what the issue is. And and the Celtics, you know, you can argue whether they've, they've managed to do that, but they're at least trying to avoid that kind of lock-in and, and lack of flexibility, even while they're trying to remain competitive.
3: So the the irony of the guy, I think, who coined the phrase treadmill of mediocrity is, Bill Morey, was he the first guy to say that? I think so. And, yeah. and he, he's never tanked. He's never tanked. <laughs> I mean, so, so it, it, but again, we don't want to highlight that. Highlight the lack of nuance sometimes in our discussion, um, whether it's in the media or whatever, because I think teams have known that. Mm-hmm. Or I, I hope, you know, some teams have known that. Like, you know, it's not that 45 wins is bad. It's 45 wins is bad when you're paying tw- $12 million a year to Gerald Wallace and $15 mm-hmm. million a year to Joe Johnson. Like That's when it's bad. It's because it's not that you, oh, you guys. You you know, you're not winning. You know the lottery, and you're not going to win a playoff series. It's that you've gone all in on vets who won't get better. Like Mm -hmm. that's it. The team, the team is done improving, Uh, and that's that's the that's the cardinal sin.
0: You know, Angel's trying to do something that Morey essentially did, and Maury was able to do it incredibly because he transitioned out of an era that essentially just couldn't live up to it because of injuries with T Mac and Yao. He was able to keep the team afloat while building, while just drafting phenomenally well, just continually, continually picking really good guys in the middle of the first round and early in the second round, and he and he had his opportunity to pounce with Harden, and he had the assets in place to be able to make it work, and. You know, looking back at what they offered at the time, which seemed like it was maybe probably a little light for what we thought Harden was and especially who he turned out to be, it's hard to imagine many teams be, uh, really seeing a, a trade with that level of assets happening again. But in, especially considering the, the, the ransoms that were being demanded out of Ainge and a lot of other GMs during the draft. But the Celtics have a similar package being set up here where they they're drafting fairly well with a bunch of solid players and we'll see what happens with Rogier and Hunter. Um but he's in the position where he has a bunch of solid young guys and some really attractive looking, probably high first round picks coming up in the next couple of years. So he's really ready to make a similar offer to what Maury made.
3: Yeah, I mean and, and I think that's it's not just him. I think if you look at what Phoenix is doing, yeah. if you look at uh
0: mm-hmm.
3: um you know, there's a couple of teams out there Pretty much Get any up, former
0: North. Ainge assistant, GM.
3: <laughs> uh, you know, Milwaukee, you could you can make the case for them. Mm-hmm. That at some point, they're they're going to package a bunch of guys and 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 trade them away. You know, so there's there's a there's a, there's a few teams around the league that are all kind of a, a, adopting that strategy, and I think it's a good, it's a win win strategy. It, and you're not sacrificing um, competitiveness. Your fans can still feel. Engaged and, and and optimistic about the future. I mean, you talk to Philly fans, man. It just, it's just it's the weirdest thing. You know, they're losing games. They're like, "Oh, good, trust the process." I mean, this should never be just on a on a on a meta level, right? Like, if we take a step back and look at the big picture, we should never be in a place in a, in sports where people are actively rooting for their teams to fail. Like, if that the incentive structure is 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 broken, if that's what we have. And to hear, you know, I don't know if you guys ever uh, seen this movie called Kung Pao. It's a really, really dumb movie uh, Boy, they basically picked this uh, old karate flick and they dubbed over it, you know, with their own, you know. Their own. But in Kung Pao, they have this one character who the guy, the monks basically, as a joke, trained him to uh, think, when he's losing a fight, he's actually winning. So, like, he, <laughs> he gets in a fight with a guy, and the guy kicks him in the face, and he looks at him and he laughs like, "Ha ha! How'd you like my face to foot style?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's what it feels like, you know, for the cents. Like, you know, oh yeah, how'd you like that? We lost 17 in a row, about to make it 18. Holler! Like, it, it does not make sense. And then, and then it, go, it goes back to again. You can have all the graphics you want, and you can do all the scouting you want, you can pick them right, and then the kid gets hurt, <laughs> and, and just keep getting hurt, and you're stuck. You're just stuck, you're, you got nothing to show for pretty much, what is it, not two
0: years of being awful?
3: Three years of being awful?
2: Three years, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so lastly here, Summer League, I know you've been there for less than 24 hours pretty much. I'm, I appreciate you talking to us while I assume you're hungover beyond comprehension, but... <laughs> Uh, we saw some interesting guys playing uh, uh, Robert Upshaw is probably the guy I want to watch the most because I'm fascinated by that storyline there and especially since that's, he's who you to want, com-
3: that's who you want to watch the most? Yeah, are you kidding me? Robert Upshaw more than anybody else. Like, more oh, than please, anybody else. I can't get enough
0: Robert Upshaw. I mean, Russell, Russell and Towns are great and everything, and Randall's was really fun to watch last night. But I am so fascinated by what's going on around Robert, Robert Upshaw. And I was surprised he didn't get drafted at all. But who, who has been the person you've enjoyed watching so far in the overall Summer Leagues? And who do you look forward to watching the most coming up, besides Robert Upshaw? Uh,
3: O- overall, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Anderson for San Antonio, uh, I watched uh, on TV. I watched him at Utah. And he's, uh, I just love his game. I- I'm a sucker for skill and for guys who know how to play. Um, and, and, you know, athleticism kind of comes secondary to me behind those things. I'm, I love the thinking man's game. And Kyle Anderson is brilliant out there. He's just so smooth and so poised and really, really slow but uses it to an advantage. Um, and that's something we don't see very often.
0: He's a perfect guys, or,
3: Um, But uh, as far as who I'm excited to watch, no, it's not Robert Upshaw. I'm excited to watch Kristaps <laughs> Porzingis. I'm excited to watch uh, Moutier. He played yesterday. I, I was on the plane the last, so I, I missed it. Um, I'm excited to watch. Uh, let's see who else. I mean, there's a bunch of guys uh, all throughout, really, the, the, the first round that I want to watch and then I also have some vets I want to watch guys second year guys I want to see if they've taken the next step kind of like Anderson did like, w- w- which you want out I of mean, second and third year players to basically they look like they shouldn't be there so guys like Archie Goodwin guys like uh, um, uh, like Rodney Hood like uh, um, who else am I thinking about man let me I'm going so this is a
0: great segue.
3: Kevin Pelton and I had a fantasy draft. Oh yeah,
0: I heard about this. Hashtag yeah. Team K Pelton.
3: Yes, and or, or and someone pointed out it seems like Tank Pelton is <laughs> is the uh, is the appropriate hashtag, but uh, yeah. So uh, you know, we're, we both drafted uh, eight man rosters, and. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we're going to be tracking them and seeing how they do, and, and then they're going to, like, tally up some imaginary counting system. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, here we go. I have Jordan Clarkson on my team. Okay. I got, uh, uh, what other vet do I have? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Clarkson and Goodwin are the two guys that I have that, you know, I'm interested in watching. Kelton has. Hood, he has um, Kyle Anderson, and Doug McDermott, that's another one. So uh, it'll be just interesting to see how those guys do, um, all the second-year players. But as far as the rookies, uh, Poisingas is the guy I got, I'm, I got him circled on my schedule. So you can,
0: you can find him at, is it at ESPN Amin, or at Amin ESPN? I always, I always forget which at, one around.
3: Amin ESPN, because I'm the kind of guy who puts myself ahead of, ahead of
0: the team that's right for, there's it's no I that. there is no I in team but there is pretty close to an Amin in team I guess so it's close enough Yeah. Right. And, and there's an I in Amin uh, and that's the that's, most important that's <laughs> the only thing that matters alright man thank you yeah. so much for joining us on Celtics Beat uh, enjoy Vegas there is there's gonna be a yeah. lot of fun alright well that's it for our interview with Amin which is brought to you by audible.com let's go to a commercial break and then we'll be back with Tom Westerholm which is presented to you by DraftKings
4: This is Larry H. Russell, back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three. Be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience, such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's Republic, I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in. And we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever, be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever, audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics.
0: C-L-N-S. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash C-L-N-S.
2: Our next guest is Tom Westerholm, and our interview with Tom is presented today by DraftKings. Earlier this year, DraftKings celebrated golf's first two majors by crowning the first ever Fantasy Golf Millionaires. And with their third major starting next week, DraftKings is picking up right where they left off by doling out $3 million in prizes and crowning Fantasy Golf's next millionaire. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy golf site, where you can win huge prizes every tournament. So, whether you live and breathe golf, or you just love the thrill of fantasy sports, DraftKings lets you experience the game in a whole new way, by playing to win a million dollars. Just pick six golfers, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. This is the biggest one-week fantasy golf contest ever. The event begins with the tournament, so choose your players before next Wednesday night, and there could be a giant check with your name on it Sunday afternoon. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code New England to play for free for a shot to become a millionaire. Enter New England now at DraftKings.com.
0: So we're joined by Tom Westerhol from Mass Live. He is in Vegas right now with a pretty nice view of the pool at his hotel. Uh, how how are you liking Vegas in the first twenty four hours?
1: You know, I'm not. Um, I, I'm not really the Vegas type personality. I'm much more of a uh, you know walk my dog in the woods kind of personality. But I'm not going to lie. When you uh, look out the window and you see like a really nice pool and that skyline, it's you know it's uh, it's pretty great. It's it, it it doesn't suck. So that's uh, well, it,
0: that's it's, what I got going for me. It's Vegas, so I'm pretty sure there's some like fake forest somewhere where they can you could rent a dog to walk. Like they have pretty much everything. <laughs> it's like Dubai. It's crazy.
1: That's a solid point, and uh, now I'm going to have to look into that. So thanks for uh, tying up my Saturday evening.
0: (laughs) So, okay, so speaking of tying up our evenings, we've been watching the Summer League, which has been, it's amazing how nowadays in the NBA, you only go like a few weeks without games, and then all of a sudden, Summer League is here. It's incredible. I love, this is why I love covering the NBA. You really only take the month of August off. Um, So the Celtics have played three games so far, am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Marcus Smart has been pretty – pretty. I, I don't think he's been amazing. I think he's been fascinating so far. But there's obviously a lot of issues with the three-point shot being the main one. But mm-hmm. we're seeing progress, and it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, we've seen pretty much everybody we wanted to see play so far, except for Colton Iverson because he right. decided to take a deal overseas, which obviously was the right move for him. You realize he wasn't going to be ever getting on the roster. But so starting with Smart, how what has been your impression so far?
1: I've been really impressed with Smart. Obviously, like you said, his shot is still kind of an issue. Um, he really was shooting extremely well in that last game, uh, you know, at times in Utah. I think obviously the biggest thing with Smart is that, you know, last season he didn't drive to the hoop very much. Um, and that was, it, it was something that kind of picked up a little bit toward the end of the year. Um, not a ton of people really made much noise about it because he kind of had his reputation already as the guy who doesn't drive to the hoop. Um, but he did start to take it to the hole a little bit more. Really, I think the most encouraging thing you can say about Smart's performance has been the fact that he's been attacking the hoop, he's been kicking out the shooters, um, and, and just you know, that attention that he draws when he just goes like a bowling ball toward the basket is really important. And I've been, I've been really impressed with that and how concentrated he's been on improving that aspect of his game.
0: It looks like his ability to shoot in the paint has improved because the mate, the biggest deterrent for him not driving at least the first half of the year was that he didn't have the lift because of that angle injury. So mm-hmm. when he was getting into the paint, he felt like he couldn't get a shot off. We're seeing, I would say, moderate strides in that area. We're seeing that he can get in there. He can feel comfortable trying to change direction on the dribble, which is really crucial for a point guard. And he shows that he can at least try to shoot over some centers, which he just was not doing last year. So is that some, do you think it's looking like something that will translate to the regular season? Because we all know summer league is fun and all, but you very rarely ever see anyone do anything they did in the summer league in the regular season.
1: Well, that's true. I, you know, During the summer league last year, we saw him taking a lot of jumpers. Um, we didn't see him attacking the hoop very much. Uh, so I, I, am, I am encouraged. I think that there's a good chance that we'll see some of it translate. And like you said, it's, you know, he's going up against summer league centers. Um, I think the thing that I would like to see a little bit more of, um, you're seeing him you know, pull up for some floaters, that kind of thing. We're still not really seeing him you know, go full force toward the basket you know, for the layups. He's kicking out, which is great, um, and that's something that he really has needed to do. Um, But I think it would be nice to see him, you know, try to finish at the rim a little bit more. And that's something that I don't think we'll see from him yet this year, um, just based on the Summer League performance. I I mean, if he's not doing it in Summer League, he's probably not going to do it during the regular season. Um, But I think uh, I do think that the drive and kick stuff um, will translate just because, you know, he's got the strength to, you know, muscle his way around people. He's got the strength to get into the lane and to kind of collapse the defense. And I think um, he will have that strength, you know, for the regular season as well. It's not just it's not just summer league uh, strength, I guess.
0: But he's also showing passing and not mm-hmm. the way that he was doing it last year. But he's showing the ability to go into delayed transition, kind of feel the rhythm of when they can attack the defense as it's kind of sitting back into transition and he's making nice plays. He's making plays where he's cutting across the lane and throwing it to guys cutting the other way, stuff like that. More mm-hmm. complex reads, stuff like that that you need your point guard to be able to do. And he and that it was probably the main reason why he wasn't playing point guard last year was because he couldn't make complex read passes. And we're seeing it starting to happen now.
1: Yeah, he had that one uh in that in that game on uh Thursday, I guess it was, where he uh, you know, pulled a, pulled back in delayed transition and kind of looked the other way and it just flicked it to the guy under the basket through mm. a couple of defenders. I mean, that, that's that's definitely not something we would have seen last year. And I'm sure some of that, you know, when you're playing in summer league and you're you're Marcus Smart and you know that you are, you know the best player on the floor, that you know the focus of the team, you you, you kind of I, I think you probably have a lot of confidence, and that confidence is, you know, It's just kind of like I'm the focal point. I I get to do kind of what I want to do. If I turn the ball over, it's not the biggest deal in the world because I'm still Marcus Smart and I'm still the best player on the floor. Um, I think, you know, we're definitely seeing some of that swagger from him. I hope that carries over because even if he's not the best player on the floor during a regular season game, you know, he kind of needs to have that mentality where he knows that, okay, if I make a mistake, it's not the biggest deal. It's my second year now. Um, You know, this is my team. I'm, you know, the prospect of the future. Um, and I think that kind of goes into the complex reads. You have to have confidence to be able to to make those passes, to take those risks. And I think we're starting to see that um, you know manifest itself in his game right now.
0: So how big of an improvement do you think he's made?
1: I think it's going to be significant. I don't know that we're going to see uh, a ton more points necessarily uh, from him, but I do think that we'll see an upgrade in his assists. And I think just kind of from watching the games, you'll see the way that he impacts the floor, um, the way he impacts the team schematically. I think that we're going to see, you know, I I think that we'll see three-point shooting, um, you know, the percentages when he's on the floor. I think, you know, if you take an in-depth look at those, I think we'll see a bit of a rise in those this season Um, just because I think he's going to be able to create for people better. And that's going to open up the floor. That's going to do really nice things for, you know, hopefully these guys that they brought in to to knock down (laughs) three-pointers.
0: So he is shooting the ball. Terry Rozier is shooting the ball a little bit but when Terry Rozier attacks the basket he is so explosive through the 3 point line and then yeah. things get really really messy really really quickly <laughs> and it's been really it's been really fun to watch i mean it's really interesting to see how he can just blow through the perimeter defender and then when he gets close to the rim he will like lose the ball he'll get really scared he'll get confused he'll put up a bad shot i mean he looks so so i guess raw but also incredibly explosive. It's 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 kind of like watching James Young last year, really.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's interesting, too. I mean, Stevens and pretty much everybody in the Celtics higher up keep using the word burst with him. And I feel like at this point, all we've really seen is burst. So, yes, I mean, he absolutely has burst, um, and it's fun to watch. But I feel like that's almost kind of the buzzword that, that they used almost as like a code of like, yeah, he he's got burst. He doesn't really have anything else at the moment, but we're hoping that the burst, you know, translates into the future. You're absolutely right that he looks kind of confused and he's a rookie, you know, playing against really stiff competition, guys who desperately desperately want roster spots. So he's he's definitely coming up against probably the, you know, the toughest competition of his career. So I'm willing to cut him some slack at this point on on that score obviously, but it is it it the, the raw stuff that's there is definitely there and it's definitely intriguing and you can kind of see you know you can you can think that the celtics reached on him but you can also kind of see you know maybe where they, they saw something in him that they didn't want to risk losing him you know with a by trying to take him with a lower pick
2: yeah, Tom, a lot of the negative reaction around that pick uh, centered on, you know, sense of duplicity between Rozier and Smart. What do you think? I mean, I know it's early, only been three games, but can these two guys coexist in a backcourt, or particularly as part of a three, three, you know, guard rotation? Uh, you know, I think there are some, you know, obviously they're both great physical players, very defensive, but I think there are some differences there their game that I think they, they could uh, coexist. Well, what are your thoughts?
1: I I agree. Um, I especially think that, um, they could coexist on the defensive end. Uh, you know, smart is big enough that he can guard a lot of shooting guards, I think. And I think that's more what the Celtics are worried about than them coexisting on the offensive end. Um, you know, Stevens just likes to have wings and, uh, you know, a ball handler. He likes to have, um, you know, guys who can do multiple things Uh, and smart, obviously can. Uh, I think, you know, Rosier is, he's just too small to be a shooting guard, but you know, he he's a good defender. Um, I think that, uh, Offensively, it, it could be a little bit awkward just because we're still not you know completely sold on Smart's three point shot. And I, I'm people have talked about how Rozier's shot could be good. I'm really not sold on it yet. Um, it uh, he's so young and you know it's his it's summer league. You <laughs> can't write off his jumper yet. But I'm not sold on that ever being a real you know impact factor for him. But I do like the idea of having the two of them and having that versatility, and then also having the versatility with those two to you know maybe somebody makes a great offer on Avery Bradley, and as much as the Celtics like Avery Bradley, he's not indispensable. Um, and I think that this kind of opens that up for them. Uh, this kind of gives them that option where if you know, somebody comes after one of their wings, if somebody comes after one of their guards, they can really, everything's interchangeable. You know, They can just kind of do whatever they need to do you know, to try to improve the roster at this point. I think that's what Rozier brings to them mostly. Um, but I, to answer your question, I do think that him and Smart will be um, an intriguing duo going forward.
0: Yeah, You know, Rogier's release point on a shot is surprisingly low for a guy that has such long arms. It is. I'm wondering if he's going to, if they're going to be able to move it back up above his head, like most guys with long arms tend to do.
1: It's interesting. You know, RJ Hunter kind of has the same thing, right? Like he kind of, he kind of shoots it out in front of him a little bit. I was watching him at shoot around today and he, he's taking these like, you know, shots from, like almost 30 feet and just swishing all of them. But they're, it's kind of out in front of him a little bit. It's kind of interesting that the two guys they picked in the first round both have kind of a weirdly low release point. But, yeah, I mean, you, you would imagine that they would try to work with Rozier on that because it is too low, and he does have those crazy long arms. And, um, you know, at, mechanics are definitely something that he's going to need to work on. But I don't think it's broken. I do think that it's, uh, it's somewhat fixable here. <laughs>
2: Speaking of Hunter, he came in from the draft with a reputation, obviously, of being a scorer, and looked pretty tentative the first couple of games. What were your per- perspective on uh, kind of his little bit of retina- reticence to shoot?
1: Um, I think it's pretty natural for a shooter in a new situation to not be totally comfortable. I mean, if you think about you know, if you think about a guy in a, just in, in like a normal pickup game who, who's a shooter, it's going to be tough, you know. People might not know exactly where he wants it, exactly how he runs the floor, you know, exactly where he's going to be cutting it at various times. And it can be tough to get into a flow of the game when your main goal is to just shoot the ball. And you also have to keep in mind that Hunter was the number one option at Georgia, uh, yeah, Georgia State. So, you know, coming into this system and for him as well, you know, he's not going to be quite as comfortable, you know, doing the various things that he's asked to do as a secondary part of the offense. Um, I think that once he gets acclimated, he's a very smart basketball player. Once he gets acclimated and once people start to get acclimated to him, I don't think there's going to be too much um, reticence on his part to, to just kind of fire those shots up. He's, a, he's, an, he's an incredible shooter. Um, and I think once he kind of gets used to the role of being a spot-up guy who just kind of finds the places on the floor where people are going to be looking for him, I think that there's going to be a, a significant improvement and, and just a nice uh, a nice fit for him uh, with the Celtics rotation.
0: So you think that could be the end of the Trash Brothers as we know it? Then we might see the some Trash
1: Brothers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I'm uh, I'm worried about James Young, but I think uh, you know I think it might you know maybe the the one of the Trash Brothers I think is uh, is moving in the splash kind of direction. So.
0: So James Young is not it's not splashing yet. There's obviously he's not lighting the world
1: on fire. No, no. But he, I
0: mean, he looks physically better. There's no what he was saying about gaining the muscle mass. I mean, you see the difference. He doesn't look like a shrimp out there. But the skill wise, it's just not it's not honed at all. Really, right now.
1: I mean, it, it's interesting to wonder how worried you should be about that because he's still the youngest player on their summer league roster. Like he's still you know incredibly young uh, and he's basically a rookie. Um, you don't, you know, you, you don't want to get to the point where you're making so many uh, excuses for a guy that it's, you know, that you're kind of overdoing it, but he does have some built in excuses still. He's still really, really young. And I mean, he's still really inexperienced. So I I mean, it does look like he's trying to force the issue. A lot of the time it looks like he's been told, okay, you know, here's what we want to see from you. And then he, he thinks, well, maybe I could do a little bit more of this too. And then, you know, tries to take some bad shots in the lane. Um, he he looks like he's just kind of playing out of himself right now, and that's not a good thing. But I think uh, it's it's definitely not panic time. But there's if, if you want to be concerned, you know that's fair. But I I don't think it's time to be like wow they they really wasted that pick.
0: Well, no, it's like he was a three to four year project when they drafted. him, of course, and he essentially said so. People forget when you draft a project that it takes more than one year. Right. People will freak out when a guy comes back the second year. And he's terrible. No, maybe and you know that's who I blame Juwan for that? Johnson syndrome, but who knows. Right.
2: I
1: was I was actually going to say, I mean not Jawan Johnson, but you know who I blame for that is Fab Mello. because we were all sure. told, you know, Fab Mello is a is a project type player, um and then it turned out that by project they just meant that he is like can't play. Um so I mean, I think people kind of look at that with James Young and they think, "Oh, well, you know, maybe he, he I don't think he can play either, but he's he's not Fab Mello. Like there's there's legitimate basketball skills there uh, that, that I think can be um, sorted out and I, I think that it's uh, yeah it's definitely too early to panic at this point
0: all right so David Lee trade we got to talk about this it's gonna <laughs> be fascinating so Mickey I mean sure they could just start Mickey right away but they also could put in David Lee David Lee very interesting option for them he's the probably the best offensive player on the team besides Isaiah Thomas right now and of course a healthy Jared Sollinger could probably compete with him but they have so many. And by solid... healthy, I, I assume you mean skinny. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, <laughs> and that too. Sure. I, well, hey, I mean, Solinger was pretty good even at the the shape he was in before. Just that it couldn't, it wasn't sustainable at all. Um, mm. But he, I mean, is David Lee going to start for this team? I don't. I wouldn't expect it because I assume Solinger is going to be good to go. And I don't think they're going to put those two out there together. They're probably going to put out Seller or a but there's, I mean, there's a chance that David Lee could go from not playing at all in Golden State to starting on this team.
1: I actually, I, I kind of disagree with you that you don't, that you, like, don't think he will. I, I think, I mean, you know, maybe not at the outset because, you know, I think Stevens is the, I, I feel like Stevens is the kind of coach who likes to reward people who did really well. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you don't want to, like, Give up on Zeller after he contributed all season last year. He was he was Tyler Zeller, so he's not incredible, but he was very solid. And you know he just kind of did his role every night. And I think Stevens is the kind of coach who wants to reward that and wants to give him a chance. But David Lee is so much better than you know most of this roster. He's and he he's going to fit nicely into Stevens' system. In a lot of ways, he's going to do kind of like a poor man's version of what would have made Kevin Love such a great um, fit. You know that that, you know, high post passing the, you know, the pick and roll big. And obviously he's not a, as much of a pick and pop guy, um, but, you know, he rolls to the basket really nicely. He's got a, a really good post game. I, I think, you know, he, he might not be a starter at the start of the season, but I have a hard time seeing him not play his way into that role, uh, you know, with the Celtics, especially since this team is clearly looking to push, you know, for another low playoff spot, presumably because they have all these draft picks you know that, that could pan out for them this season but um I, I agree that he's going to be really good i actually think that he will be starting um you know within a month or two
2: yeah i kind of think the lee and johnson pairing at the four and five is probably the the celtics best front court option at this point
1: i agree yeah yeah i definitely agree and i think uh you know between the two of them that's that, that speaks well for the celtics free agency you know they they didn't get any of the top guys we weren't really you know we weren't really expecting them to um, but you know they still managed to pull out two guys who are, you know, probably their best big men. That's that speaks pretty well for for their work, especially since they managed to maintain all their flexibility. Um, if they want to, they can let both guys go at the end of the season and have what like an extra twenty seven million. Is that between yeah. the two of them? Yeah. Um, so you know that's that, that's that's not bad work uh, in in offseason. You know if you know depending on what you're trying to do, and from what the Celtics seem to be trying to do, that's uh, that's that's a solid. That's a solid group.
0: And so last question here. I was trying to name who would start at the center. Somehow I forgot the subject of this question. Amir Johnson, the newest guy <laughs> on the team. So I I know he's only 6'9", but obviously he's going to be the center on this team. And they pay $12 million, which is a lot of money to pay to a guy that does an average 10 and 10. But from all accounts and from everything that I've seen and I'm sure everything that you've seen, Amir Johnson is a very effective player out there. And especially being on this team, he's probably going to be putting up better numbers than he was in Toronto. But do you think that it was a really good signing, or are you satisfied with the move?
1: I think it was a great signing. I was really confused why everybody. I mean, I I, I wasn't actually confused. I know that Celtics fans wanted a bigger um, a bigger splash than Amir Johnson. Uh, you know, on the on the what was it? The second day of free agency, um, yeah. but. You know, he's, he's such a solid player. And when you look at his per 36 numbers, I know nobody likes to like, you know, look at that because it's, 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 you know, not a, not a sexy, uh, uh, you know, production, but his per 36 numbers are really good. Um, and you know, this is going to give him a chance to really contribute. If the Celtics want to keep him around another year, they can, that's, you know, the beauty of that option there. Um, you know, last season it was on very few attempts, but he actually shot 41% from three-point range. So, you know, not that he'll not that he'll tease that out and continue to shoot 41%, but it's you know, it's still something where he can clearly stretch the floor if he needs to. He's got a varied skill set. Um, he's just he's going to be the kind of guy that Celtics fans really like. Uh, you know, he he's he works really hard. Um, from all accounts, every Toronto person loved him. Um, I think he's going to be a really nice addition. Uh, And that that still keeps that all important flexibility open. If a bigger fish comes along that Danny Ainge wants to, you know, try to hook on his lure of assets and picks and everything else. So I think uh, I think it was a great signing. I was really impressed with it, and I I think it demonstrated a lot of patience and 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 a good eye uh, for Danny Ainge to to go out and get that guy who might not be the exact kind of uh, asset or the exact kind of player they're looking for, but still adds quite a bit to the team.
0: All right, you can find him on Twitter at Tom underscore NBA. When we go to your Twitter, what are we going to be seeing from you in the next few weeks?
1: Uh, you'll be seeing a lot of summer league. Uh, I'm out, like you said, I'm out here in Vegas. I'll be covering the Celtics. Um, I'll be doing some other uh, some other work as well. Um, it'll be from from Mass Live, uh, for Celtics Hub, probably some stuff for Hardwood Paroxysm. So it'll be kind of all over the place. But uh, I would say that you know the biggest things will be uh, Mass Live and Celtics Hub. So there will be uh, plenty of Celtics stuff uh, coming down the pike here.
0: All right, we're going to – obviously, I'm going to read every single word that you
4: write now until (laughs) September. Don't worry. All right. Thank you. Are you looking to lose weight, burn fat, pack on muscle, or just live a healthier life by sleeping better and worrying less? Well, aren't we all? Unfortunately, we've spent years quibbling over phony studies, fad diets, and dangerous prescription drugs that have prevented us from living our lives to the fullest and have done more harm than good. But thankfully, science has prevailed, and we now know that there is no other way in achieving optimal health than by consuming what nature has to offer us in its purest form possible. Hi, I'm Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and critically acclaimed author of Fall of the Boston Celtics, and let me tell you about Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals. Dr. Ron's supplements are 100% additive free, and best of all, they work. Dr. Ron's supplements are my personal go-to for anything from post-workout recovery to achieve optimal gains, all the way to stress management. So if you're not getting the results you want from maddening forms of dieting and dealing with adverse side effects from other harmful drugs, remember one thing, as Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And let Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals be the remedy for you. Available only at www.drrons.com.
0: All right. Well, usually this is the point of the show where we do around the NBA in five, but we had such great conversations with these guys that we didn't even have time for it. So I'm just going to tell you quickly about American Farmers Network. A consumer should always know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFN's family ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have the right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. That's going to do it for us. We had ESPN's Amin El Hassan on. We had Mass Lives, Tom Wesserholm on. It was a great show. Rich Conti, it was fantastic as always. So I want to thank our the music that was provided for the show. Thank Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Astrovex, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. The Twitter handle for this show is, under, is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat to keep up with the show. I want to thank our guests, thank our sponsors, Linda, Audible, Casper, Dr. Rons, and American Farmers Network for making all this possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Gelso, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and of course, my co-host, Rich Conti. I'm Jared Weiss. We'll be back next week for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.